You're listening to the Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest podcast presented by Red Flag Canberra, Mental Health Action, and this is my Brave Australia, dedicated to breaking stigma one story at a time. I'm Jane Grace from Red Flag Canberra. And I'm Tim Daly from This Is My Brave Australia, and you're listening to Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest. It's a pleasure to welcome our next guest, Shane Rattenbury, Greens leader and member for Karajong in the ACT Legislative Assembly. Shane was the first speaker in any parliament in the world representing a Green political party. I didn't know that. It's interesting. And Shane's portfolios include climate change and sustainability, justice and community affairs, corrections and mental health, and part-time umpire. So welcome, Shane. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. I mean, I was just—I was actually caught up a little bit this morning in listening to. Um, there's going to be an announcement from Greg Hunt on um, more spending on mental health nationally. So um, I got to be caught up in in listening to that this morning, which was quite interesting. So, um, but before we get into that, um, you're originally from Batemans Bay, what we in Canberra call an outer suburb of the ACT, and have a house on the coast. And like many Canberrans, the simple pleasure of getting away for the weekend uh, down the coast is just one of the many things that the current isolation protocols have stopped us from doing. Um, how's the Rattenbury family handling this particular aspect of social isolation? Well, there's no doubt that there's been enormous changes for everybody uh, with the COVID situation. I think Canberra generally and Australia overall has done a great job in responding and people have been really sensible but I know people are starting to itch to go places. I'd love to. I've got down the coast. The weather's been amazing down there the last few weekends. It's probably better not to look because then it feels less tempting. But, you know, it has been very serious for some people as well. And certainly with my hat on as the mental health minister, it's something we've been really aware of. It's been a, a challenging year, 2020. If we look back just in the few months we've already had, we've had uh, the smoke across Canberra, the bushfires that impact this region and the coast. And, of course, now COVID plus the hailstorm, which had a really impact for a lot of households. So it's been a pretty challenging year from a community point of view and from a mental health point of view. Well, it's also been a, a big um, load on the government from bushfires onwards, hasn't it? It has been a real challenge. I mean, if you look at something like the hailstorm, more than 10,000 cars were damaged in the ACT. Many of them have been written off. So there's been a whole lot of work to support that. Obviously, the response to the bushfire, which got right to Canberra's doorsteps, but fortunately, our various firefighters and emergency services agencies did a great job on that. Uh, and now COVID, which is just, you know, I'm in my lifetime, nothing like this has ever happened, nothing this large. Uh, I think, you know, maybe some of our grandparents who can think back to the Second World War uh, can relate to something that's had such a fundamental impact on life. But for most people, they've not as a community as a whole, we've not seen something this large and so it has been incredibly challenging. And the impacts for mental health for people, I think, um, are starting to get more of a high profile in the mainstream of society as well. I think that's right, Jane, and it's something we've been thinking about for quite some weeks already and that's why we announced the new uh, mental health funding package to respond to COVID last week, but I come, can come to the specifics of that later, but well, really actually, conscious. yeah, that was that was going to tie into my question. I'll let you finish mm. what you were saying, and then um, we would like a, a little bit more um, detail around 
the ACT government, a new and, and minister for as minister for mental health, announcing increased spending in the area of mental health. Um, sure. The the rationale behind that is, I guess, we've been thinking for quite some weeks since this really kicked off. We knew that mental health was going to be a challenge, and I guess there's several elements to that. Uh, obviously, the the period of social isolation has been really challenging for people, both the people who perhaps have already been seeking treatment for a mental illness and they've found this particularly isolating, but also for people who perhaps not experienced mental health challenges before but have just felt really impacted by the situation. And so there's been that short-term consequence, I suppose, but we are really mindful of the fact that the mental health story around COVID, if you like to put it that way, is going to play out over the long term. It's not saying that it'll just pass as the restrictions ease. There are consequences for people who will have lasting impacts from the isolation. Uh, There are consequences for uh, the financial stress that people will find themselves under. There is, of course, a recognition from uh, previous downturns and recessions that we see suicide rates go up during these sort of economic downturns. And so there's, I think, a a long-term story to work on from a mental health point of view. And have you got an impression on whether there's been any increase in suicide numbers during this time? Is that something Look, is that hard comes to, to your attention? It is hard to measure in the short term. The way the suicide data is collected, it does take some time to get in, but we've certainly heard some feedback from uh, Lifeline particularly who've talked about an increase in... They've certainly had an increase in calls and there have been increasing numbers of people who have talked about suicide with them. So I don't have any specific numbers on incidents, but we certainly are very conscious that it is a significant issue out there. We've also had reports from quite a few of our community partners who provide mental health services in the ACT that they are seeing increases in calls and increases in contacts. Uh, People that they have worked with already are struggling in these circumstances. Uh, And so the pressure is definitely on, and certainly in the public health system, we have seen uh, particularly an increase in severity of people's conditions when they are seeking support for mental health. That was going to be my question. Is there any guide to whether these contacts are new contacts or existing contacts? Look, it's been both, Tim, to be honest, Uh, and I don't have anything really concrete to pin it to, but I have been talking to quite a few of the service providers and obviously our own ACT government staff. We had a, I had a roundtable three or four weeks ago now with the CEOs of around a dozen of Canberra's key organisations as we were putting together the mental health package to, to get their input so that we made sure we directed the funding to the best places that we could identify. Uh, and I guess the feedback is that certainly for existing clients, we know that some of them are struggling and they are perhaps their normal care plan isn't quite working for them and they're needing new approaches during this period. Uh, But there's no doubt, and you can see it on social media as much as any through the service providers, that people who've never presented before seeking mental health support definitely are. It's coming through in the lifeline numbers that they're giving us. uh, In in the Canberra hospital environment, uh, it's probably tended to be more recognised clients and there has been unfortunately some correlation with uh, drug use as well. Uh, yes, we've heard that anecdotally that uh, some clients are presenting um, to the adult mental health unit an emergency and uh, it's been a result of spending their stimulus money on 
drugs um, and that, that that has had some impact on the profile of clients in some of the facilities and it's mainly around drug use rather than um, typical uh, mental health diagnoses. Have you been hearing that? Yes, I've heard similar reports, unfortunately, Jane, and it, it, it is about a higher level of acuity uh, that people are coming with that sort of comorbidity between mental health issues and uh, increased drug use. And the, I guess people's common sense thinking is that it is a result of having more money available from the stimulus measures. So let's get on to that um, mental health spending that you announced recently. Um, mm. Why did the government feel that there was a need to bolster the spending on mental health services? I mean, you've probably mentioned a few of those things. Is there is anything else that came up that was unexpected? No, it's really that understanding that we knew the service system would be under pressure uh, and for the reasons we've talked about. And so, but also some of our key mental health partners and the funding was a $4.5 million package. Uh, around $2.3 million of that went to community organisations and the rest went into boosting government services. Uh, so uh, a good split there, I think. And certainly for many of the community organisations, not only are they facing perhaps some increased costs from needing to perhaps move to uh, telehealth provision of their services, um, but also some of their fundraising opportunities have disappeared. These are organisations that get some money from government, but also get some from either fundraising or philanthropic sources. And some of those sources were drying up. So there's simply some gaps to fill there, as well as thinking about the increased pressures that they're under. Um, there was some philanthropic um, grant um, opportunities available through Hands Across Canberra and the Chief Minister's um, mm. fund, which was well received by uh, special mental health community uh, organisations in the ACT, mine being one of them, which is great, which has allowed us to keep going with our, with our services and applying those services. So um, that was good to see in the, in the short term just to get us through this, this COVID area. So a recent change in the area of mental health in the ACT has been the introduction of the Office of Mental Health and Wellbeing and the appointment mm -hmm. of um, Dr Moore, Dr Elizabeth Moore, as the Coordinator General. Was the implement, implementation of a mental health response to COVID-19 greatly influenced by the input from Dr Moore and her office? It has been. Uh, it's been led by both the mental health policy team within Canberra Health, but also Dr Moore is, is really leading that work. She has, I guess, been taking on a particular role to lead the COVID response. Uh, and, you know, it was her consultation with NGO sectors um, that really provided a lot of the background for where we knew some of the gaps were and where the pressure points were. So she's now got the role of uh, making sure that money gets spent as quickly as possible, provided to the organisations as quickly as possible. And one of the interesting things we put into the mental health support package was an innovation fund, if you like. Uh, we left some money that was unallocated uh, so that, and Dr Moore will dispense that money. It's, and it's there for organisations to come forward with ideas, new, new ideas, gaps that need to be filled, uh, issues that emerge so that we've got some capacity to sort of tackle issues as they come up over the next few months as well. Um, the, this first six months of the year in the ACT has probably been a good litmus test for the office itself because of mm. the, the issues mm. that have come up. The other thing is um, 
the departure of Michael Diaz, head of a- the ACT Health Directorate, mm-hmm. um, difficult timing, I guess, around that. And, and what do you see as the impact of his departure in the short term? Look, I had a lot of time for Michael. I think he did a great job of getting ACT Health very focused on the work that they needed to do, uh, particularly as we moved to have two organisations with the split uh, to Canberra Health Services and the Health Directorate. Uh, I think Michael left the agency in a strong position. And so he took the decision for personal reasons. He wanted to, he was very clear, he wanted to return to Melbourne to be with his family during the COVID period. Uh, I think he left the organisation in a strong position. Uh, And so I don't want to say we don't miss him, but we were able to make the transition with him leaving, uh, you know, and the agency was able to just keep moving forward at a really busy time because of what he put in place. Let's move on a little bit. What do you see is the future of mental health reform in the ACT. And um, we look at particular part being involved in the grassroots. Um, and hopefully it includes an increased consumer involvement in co-design and peer work opportunities, and especially peer work opportunities, because we see that to be a, a big benefit to the community of that lived experience being involved in the process. Look, that's a great question, Tim, in terms of where reform is going. And I think there's sort of the pre-COVID plans that we had. And then, of course, COVID has taken up much of the space. I think there is opportunity around COVID uh, in the sense that it has brought mental health issues to the fore. And so that opens a space for discussion with the community. I think more people will have uh, awareness of the importance of mental health just because of the impact that COVID has had. But in terms of what we were thinking about prior to COVID and some of the important reforms we want to do locally in the ACT, one of the big picture things we were very focused on was the social determinants of mental health in light of the Productivity Commission's inquiry. The Productivity Commission is doing a large report. Many of your listeners will have heard about it. And the ACT government put a lot of effort into a submission. It was led by Dr Moore. And we spoke very strongly about how important the social determinants of mental health are in terms of things like... If you have somewhere secure to live, that's a really important part of uh, mental wellbeing. And so we put our submission together with a whole-of-government submission from the ACT, not just from health, and I think that will shape a lot of the thinking going forward. You spoke in your question about peer workforce, and I think this is a real area of opportunity in the ACT. Uh, One of the disappointing parts of the COVID impact is that we'd actually worked with the mental health community network to put together a budget bid around peer workforce and developing peer workforce in the ACT. Uh, And of course, with the postponement of the budget, that bid has been postponed as well. But certainly in recent years, the peer workforce idea is gaining traction in the ACT. We've got organisations such as Wellways, Woden Community Service and Flourish Australia who've had a focus on peer workforce in their service models. And then we've got some other ideas coming forward. I think the Recovery College in the ACT, which has uh, peers as teachers in in the college, has been a great example of getting that kind of work going. Well, you just led me into my next question, which was about the Recovery College. Um, Mm. It's it's a a trial program at the moment. Um, I'm lucky enough to be one of those facilitators at the Recovery College and see it as a, a great resource for uh, people with mental health issues and their recovery. What's your view? And I, I'm not going to hold you down to <laughs> a funding decision right now. But what's your view of, of the continued support by the government in the future for the 
recovery college? Look, personally, I really love the recovery college model. I, it just makes sense. I like the combination of peer workforce and clinicians working together. Uh, I think it's a very empowering process, the recovery college, and certainly uh, I was fortunate to make a visit to a recovery college in the UK prior to the one getting going here in the ACT, uh, and I came away very inspired by that. So overall, I have a very positive view towards it. Uh, we have set it up so that there is an evaluation process through this trial phase, and so we'll use that formally to make the funding decision going forward. But certainly, I've had quite positive feedback from it in it. I guess the conversations I've had with people in the community, and I do see it as being part of uh, the mental health ecosystem in the ACT going forward. Is there a um, is there a place for a model like Home in Queanbeyan, which is a publicly funded residential option for those with mental health issues who don't fit into the standard public housing model? And would the government consider supporting a project like this in the future? Yeah, I think in the broad, supported accommodation is something we really need more of when it comes to giving support to the mental health community. Uh, Within government, we've, as you might recall from previous budgets, we've funded a number of additional supported accommodation facilities. There's a, a real sense there that I think people with an enduring mental health concern can lead really fulfilling and independent lives, but they just need support at various times. And I think that's where supported accommodation is really valuable. And home in Queanbeyan is a terrific example. Um, so we've built a number of houses in the ACT. The first one came online last year, and we've got three more due this year. Uh, and then in terms of homes specifically, there is a proposal to build one in Curtin in the ACT. Uh, in my role as a Greens member, I certainly support that, and we put it into the last parliamentary agreement part of our power-sharing deal with the Labor Party to actually progress that project. It has not progressed as much as I wanted. And so that is a bit of a source of frustration, but it is a project we should endeavour to make work in the ACT because it provides a terrific environment for people. From talking to Anne um, Pratt, who runs um, Home in Queanbeyan, um, mm-hmm. her view was that the... The, the model in Queanbeyan is that the fact that it is publicly funded and publicly supported is one of the great um, pluses of having that uh, those units out there built and, and able to be used by people with mental health issues. Um, do, you th- do you think that there's a place for less government involvement in some, some of these projects and more... Um, community-supported projects and, obviously, peer-supported projects? Yeah, I think where these models work well is when it's not just government service and there is a community partner because that brings connection, uh, brings a lot of passion, uh, and uh, I think having sort of co-models, I don't think we can rely on the community sector just to set these projects up. I think there's always a role for government support, whether it's providing land in the building or some level of ongoing funding or the like. But I think the partnership model works really well. And whether it's through um, church providers, which has been some of the history, or whether it's through secular non-government partners, uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities out there to, to do that. And I prefer to see those partnership models. You're listening to the Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest podcast presented by Red Flag Canberra. And this is my brave Australia. 
Can I um, ask you um, a question in your role as a Minister for Mental Health and Corrections? Um, what's been your impressions of how both the mental health needs and other needs of prisoners are going during the time of COVID at the moment? Yes, mental health in the jail is a, is a big issue because there's no doubt that a very large percentage of people in the jail have uh, mental health as part of their needs. It's well over half. There's no doubt about that. And uh, COVID's obviously presented some particular challenges. We move very early to close access to the jail as much as possible in terms of visits because, as we've seen from overseas, if you get a disease like this into a closed environment like a jail, it will spread very quickly and the consequences are very serious. Um, so we closed visits quite early on, but mental health is going to be impacted by that. And so one of the things we have done is immediately went out and purchased a whole bunch of tablets and have been having audio-visual visits. So oh, really? Can, oh, wow. So DPNEs can keep in touch with their family and their loved ones and their friends and those sort of things. And, you know, that's gone quite well. It's not as, it's not as good as having someone come and see you at the jail, but the feedback I've had has been quite positive. And interestingly, one of the things that has opened up is that people have been able to have visits with friends and relatives in other parts of Australia that they wouldn't normally have because, they, you know, people wouldn't be able to come to Canberra, but they can have an audio-visual visit. So I think this will be something we potentially keep going forward because it opens up some other possibilities. We were talking to um, Tara Apps from Marathon Health, Mm -hmm. um, obviously a, a, an Aboriginal support service, um, and she works in the, uh, the social wellbeing uh, youth part of that and deals between Canberra and Yes. Um, she says one of the problems with, with Canberra being a hub for health um, and Yas obviously being a more regional area, is the problem of transport between Yas and Canberra is that the mm -hmm. people in Yas can't actually come in and access because there's one bus service between Yas and Canberra. So they're, um, even though we're a fairly um, entitled area here in Canberra because of a government input, um, people just on the other side of the border are, are, are suffering from lack of resources. Is there any way that the ACT government, the New South, New South Wales government, can come together and solve one of those problems about access? Yeah, you're right, Tim. Canberra is a really important hub in the whole region. We have people coming from everywhere to uh, get medical support in the ACT, and that's why we're recognised as being the key hospital for the region. Um, Interestingly, there was a forum held out at Yass oh, probably in February, just before we were, or while we were still allowed to go places, I went out to it and we had actually a, a discussion about the mental health needs around the Yass region. They are due to have a headspace um, outpost opened in Yass, I believe, this year. Uh, so that will certainly be a support for younger people uh, in those more uh, rural areas. And I know people in, in Yass are very much looking forward to that service opening. Oh, great. Yeah, because we were told that if a, if a child, which was the main group that Tara was working with, um, was in a crisis situation, they would tend to have to go to Goulburn. So, yeah, yes. that's it's very promising to hear that you are working with um, the forces over on New South Wales uh, to develop that. Yeah, oh. no, I'm very pleased that funding is there for Headspace. At that meeting in... Yes, the New South Wales Mental Health Minister came as well, uh, as well as a number of 
partner and service organisation. So there's a good understanding. It's now just working through the details and, and coming up with the right options. But, you know, no one... If anyone from the ASP presents you know, in the ACT, they will get the support they need. There's no question about that. Yeah, the, the, the question wasn't, yeah, <laughs> they don't get the support in the ACT. It's just basically getting here. So, yeah, so hopefully yes, hopefully that can be worked out, especially with yep. space representing in, in YAS and the, and the local region there. So, Shane, um, during the time of um, COVID, do you... What do you feel is the quality input and amount um, of grassroots consumer feedback that you're getting in your office? Um, I mean, I guess my impression is there's quite an assumption that people all have access to computers, they have access to the to pay for the data to actually communicate. Mm. And I guess one concern I've had is that's quite a big assumption and perhaps some of the poorer people um, who are consumers are, are going to have more difficulty in transmitting their views than, for example, when they could um, show up at, at places, say, for example, the ACT Mental Health Consumer Network and get their views um, input in that way. Uh, yes, yeah, so I just feel there there is a bit of a... a technological divide and a bit of a have and a have not um, issue going on and it's not really paid much attention to. No, you're very right and it is something that the government's very aware of. Uh, certainly as part of having students do remote learning, there was a significant effort to provide internet connection to households that didn't have it and so hundreds of households across the city were given a I don't know what the technical term is, but they're commonly referred to as a dongle uh, to oh, give them okay. internet access. Yeah. So that they were given those for free to make sure that you know, students from more disadvantaged households could access online learning. Um, so there is a recognition of that digital divide. We certainly, you know, in the ACT, we have the highest rate of digital connection of anywhere in Australia. Uh, and that probably tends to then make the situation even worse because it masks those people who don't have it. Uh, with the closure of the public libraries as well, that is that probably makes that worse because you know some people would rely on the libraries for their internet access. Uh, so it is certainly something we need to keep an eye on. From my point of view, you know, I guess a lot of my feedback does tend to come through organisations such as the Mental Health Consumer Network rather than from individuals per se. Uh, certainly at the moment, because we're obviously not out and about meeting people, often people do just come and chat to you, but those opportunities aren't there at the moment. So we rely very much on the Yes, the peak and representative organisations to give us that feedback. Right. Um, so Tim and I both work closely with people in the community, whether they're consumers or carers, and they're one of the themes that that constantly comes up is the need for some sort of community, non-clinical driven peer supported option for those who we who are not in need of an immediate clinical service, but where a hospital emergency department is not necessarily the ideal environment for them. So um, I think it's something that um, we've talked with you about, and I know that you are very aware of a model in Melbourne called um, Safe Haven. I think we've mm. talked about something called Safe Harbour, which was something... The red flag camera was very interested in. Um, I know you've been 
um, really um, researching those models. Um, could you talk a little bit about what your impression of those models are and whether you see those featuring as, as something that could be part of the Canberra mental health response? Yeah, you speak to a really important gap there, which is that something just in between the emergency department and and uh, other treating options. And I'm very optimistic about the role that the safe haven cafes can play. I took the opportunity when I was in Melbourne in February to go and see the one that's operating at St Vincent's Hospital. Uh, and it, it is on the hospital campus there, but uh, it does it provides an alternative to the emergency department. You can literally see the Safe Haven Cafe from the ED and vice versa. They're not too far apart, but they're obviously very different environments. Uh, the, the, the cafe is led by non-clinical staff, uh, peer workers and social workers. Uh, it's a very welcoming environment. And certainly when I was there, the clients who were visiting at the time uh, just were so positive about the experience they'd had in being able to go to the Safe Haven Cafe as a place where they could seek support, seek some companionship, uh, just get some advice, just talk to someone about how they were feeling. Uh, and so we decided to introduce them in the ACT. Uh, we just funded the setup of two safe haven cafes uh, in the mental health funding announcement last week. We intend to put one on the Canberra Hospital campus and the other one probably in the city, somewhere in central Canberra. Uh, and so the work is now underway to get those established and up and running. That's who, fantastic. That's actually fantastic. So who would be managing those facilities? It'll be a partnership with uh, Canberra Health Services, so our mental health division, and I anticipate a community organisation of some description. So there's a little bit of work still to be done on designing the exact model, but you know, I'm, I'm very keen for it to be... I've spoken a bit about partnerships today, but I... I I'm a supporter of that, as you probably picked up in the conversation, and we we're certainly looking to work with, uh, I think, a community service provider as well. But do you see a role for peer workers on the ground there with lived experience, just being there, available to talk to the people that come in the door? Oh, definitely, Jane. They are central to the model. Um, you know, I met one of the peer workers who was on duty when I visited the cafe in Melbourne, and you know, for her, it was she just could not have been more positive about her experience in the sense that it had given her very clear focus and a, and a job that she was very proud of. Uh, but obviously with her lived experience, the clients related to her in a way that perhaps they would not to a clinician. And so peer workers are absolutely central to this model. Oh, that's really fantastic to hear. Because I think one of the things with peer work is there is this implied message of hope that you don't mm. necessarily get from another worker um, because they've proven that they have gone through bad times and that they can work their way through it. So I think when you are going through difficult times, that is a, a really important message. And, you know, the person's walked the walk and, yeah, they're there for you. So, yeah, we that is just fantastic news for, for Canberra. Um, I guess a lot will the devil will be in the detail in terms of getting the best possible model and um, making sure that that lived experience voice really um, is heard in the design phase. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, and there's a bit of a tension there. 
I'm very keen to get these up and running as quickly as possible, but we also need to make sure we take the time to talk to people and and hear their views. Certainly the team at St Vincent's were very generous in saying they were happy to advise us based on their experiences and we got some good tips while we were there visiting them. Uh, so, yeah, we'll just need to um, have a think. Of, I don't have a timeline at the moment, but we want to get these up and running as soon as possible because we see them as an important part of the COVID response. We were working on them already. Now, the plan was to bring safe havens into Canberra, uh, but I'm keen to try and do it a bit sooner because I think they will play a part in the COVID response. Yeah, I think you're to be congratulated. I think it's an excellent plan. Um, I guess, yeah, the only other thing I'd, I guess, reiterate is just making sure that there's good involvement from consumers in the design and, um, and yeah, having that strong peer-led involvement sounds fantastic. And making sure no. that they make good coffee. If it's a coffee shop model. Indeed. No, it's a good point and I will I've taken a mental note to make sure we focus on that. <laughs> so obviously in the planning at the moment and the funding there's there's only two sites, but obviously on um, reflection after those two are up and going and, and seeing the um, how they're going, is there, is there a chance that that'll expand out to Calvary Hospital and other sites? I guess that's a possibility, Tim. You know, I'm a fan of just, um, you know, getting going with things and seeing how they go. And, you know, if they don't work, being comfortable to say, look, that wasn't the right thing for Canberra or for this city or whatever, and, and going on to something else. If they do work, um, you know, scaling them up because they've proven to be effective. And so for me, that's part of it is not, not being frightened of failure. Um, you know, we obviously want to not have things fail, but uh, getting on and getting giving things a go, and if they work, then yeah, putting more of it in place. A great example of that is the PACER model, which we introduced late last year in the ACT. For your listeners who don't know about that, that is a mental health response service that actually combines uh, police, ambulance officers, and clinicians. It's a little team of three. They travel in one car together, and so rather than just have police turn up when there's an, uh, an emergency call, you get the the full um, suite of services turn up and it's designed to give the client a better experience but also it actually reduces the number of people that are taken to emergency or to a police cell and I think that's a really important thing because for someone in a mental health crisis ending up in a police cell or frankly the emergency department is about the worst thing that can happen to you uh, and being able to be treated perhaps at home where you feel more comfortable, where you've got family and friends to support you is a much better outcome. And we've had really great results from PACER, which started on a three-day-a-week trial, and we've just expanded that to seven days a week because it's going well. We've found that 83% of people in the early data were not having to be taken to hospital, and those that were being taken to hospital were being admitted predominantly to an inpatient unit. So it reflects the fact that you know, those who were being taken in really did need to go and, and many people who did not need to go weren't having to go there. Yeah, I mean, that's what we get told a lot, um, that there's no level of intervention before a clinical service or a, or emergency department and people are looking for that intervention because, unfortunately, if there's no intervention at that time, then it puts a big strain on the crisis services at the end of the day, which there's never enough 
you can never plan for enough you can never pay for enough because you have peaks and troughs so some people mm -hmm. will miss out sometimes so it's good to hear that there's some sort of early intervention going on to keep that pressure off the eds which are <laughs> overworked as they are yeah, well, I think you're to be really congratulated for the rollout of PACER and also for the development of the safe haven models. And I'm really pleasant, uh, pleasantly surprised to hear about the tablet initiative um, in the jails. I mean, I think those are really positive things and really in touch with community grassroots needs. So, yeah, very pleasant to hear those those things. So with... Um Greg Hunt's imminent announcements of increased spending on uh, mental health in Australia federally. Um, have you, obviously, the ACT government through the National Cabinet have had some input on that? Yes, we actually had, and I'm very pleased about this, the first ever meeting nationally of mental health ministers a couple of weeks ago. About half the jurisdictions now have a dedicated mental health minister, not all, but uh, at least half. And we've never actually had a COAG level meeting of mental health ministers. So we had the first one a couple of weeks ago with Greg Hunt and with Christine Morgan, who uh, is playing that important role in the national government to talk about what our COVID response was, was and what we needed still to do. It was a good opportunity for the states to share their experiences and we found largely we were having similar experiences um, and then talk about where we need to go going forward. So yes, we have been involved in that package. I think it's coming to National Cabinet this Friday. Uh, and so we should be in a position to um, share more of the details after it's been a national cabinet. Well, that's some extra good news for the people out there who are not only consumers and carers, but workies, workers in those um, in those areas. Because um, it's interesting, isn't it, that unfortunately it's taken the pandemic to focus a light on mental health, but there's a silver lining to, to all things and hopefully this is one of them where the, the increased spending on mental health will, will do some real real good in the sector. Yeah, I think it's accelerated people's insights into mental health. Team. I mean, I think overall Australia is heading in the right direction in that stigma around mental health is breaking down. Uh, people are more openly having conversations, uh, but we've still got some distance to go and there's no doubt there's still stigma out there, uh, both self-stigma and stigma from others. And so I think that COVID will accelerate those insights and that community understanding of mental health challenges and what some of the service needs are. Well, mental health is a is a uh, important plank in the ACT government's uh, wellbeing platform as well. So mm. Um, mm. It, I'm looking after people's... Um, well-being overall, not just focusing on their mental health, but on the on the physical side, on housing, on um, economical, financial side. So um, hopefully this will uh, augur well for the future of mental health in the ACT. Well, I think it reflects the fact that we need to see mental health and mental well-being about much more than the acute service system. And that's obviously an incredibly important part, but it goes to some of the conversation we've had over the last 10 minutes or so. It's, we need a recognition that there's a whole scale of mental health need from sort of day-to-day -day mental wellbeing uh, through to early intervention services and then ultimately you know, the crisis end and the, and the acute inpatient units and the like. And we need to make sure we're looking at the whole system. I think historically there has probably been too much focus on the acute end of the system and certainly one of my key agendas in my role as 
two Minister for Mental Health is to put more energy into the preventative space because I think that's how we can make a real difference to people's quality of life. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with us um, this morning, Minister. We really appreciate it. And um, it's been great to hear what some of the new initiatives are that you're working on. Thanks very much for the opportunity to talk about it all. Thank you, Shane. And uh, hopefully I'll see you on a football field somewhere in the future. Hopefully we're going to get back out there soon, Tim, yes. Okay. Thanks, Shane. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. This podcast was presented and produced by Red Flag Canberra. And this is my brave Australia. Thank you for listening.